Welcome to the Purpose Podcast. Our goal for everyone everywhere to follow Jesus. So that means you and your friends and their friends and everyone else. Let's get deeper. Hey everybody, welcome to the Purpose Podcast, your show for everything Purpose Church. Uh, today is June 15th. Uh, we are on episode 12, can you believe it? And um, it's not just me today who's I'm here. It's not just me today talking to you. In fact, we have a special guest um, on the on the horn. We have we have him on the horn today. Caleb and I. Caleb's here with me, and I also we also have with us David Brandon, our Ooh. our producer. Yeah, the infamous and uh, amazing David Brandon. Um, and I guess our our listeners uh, kind of want to know who you are, David. Who are you? Sure, I am. sure <laughs> sure guys. I am the director of business administration here at the church, and uh, yeah. gosh, been attending here since I was six years old. So feels like home. I feel like um, I feel like our listeners probably heard that and went, what does that mean? I am so excited about <laughs> what you do. Can I come right. in and shadow you? Yeah. Because bu- business and administration is so sexy. Like it's the sexiest thing you can do. That's true. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. I, mean I know what it means, but what does it My mean? My dad was a businessman. So I, you know, I'm always like, tell me more. <laughs> I'm working uh, day to day. It's kind of pulling uh, reports from our financial software, mm. kind of going over those with the executive staff, um, mm. overseeing everything HR in the office, okay. and uh, overseeing IT. So, so you're it's, essentially it's, it's behind the scenes. That's yeah. a lot of stuff. You're kind of like the Toby of the office. Yes. Yeah. That's a lot. Though. But That's not like that we three separate hats. Yeah. I guess if if Glenn's Michael Scott and you're Toby, does that mean he hates you? <laughs> <laughs> he may. <laughs> it definitely like, I hate that that David Brandon. <laughs> definitely the downer in the office for sure. Like with all these no. high hopes and dreams of all the pastors. Yeah, yeah. dream crusher. <laughs> yeah, dream sorry. crusher. Yeah, that, you're not gonna get that coffee. We, we call him that. David the You can dream get Folgers this week. We can't afford the uh, that's right. modern <laughs> times <laughs> wine barrel aged single origin. I'm afraid that's not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> so David is uh, is here helping us out today. He's our I, I always call him our producer. He basically helps us um, kind of stay on track when he's here. And and I want him on the radio now because I feel like he's he's an awesome guy. And he has a lot of great opinions. And uh, he has also got this incredibly quippy sense of humor, which I really like. Uh, so. And eventually someday we're going to talk about leadership. That as, a, a, as a phenomena and field. Oh yeah, that'd be yes. interesting because you but know because David and I both study leadership uh, yes. and and we're in church work and Caleb was interested because a lot of Christian leaders are going to the study of leadership and not towards the study of biblical studies and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's kind of a new phenomenon. Yeah. I got my master's in organizational leadership, mm-hmm. essentially kind of same program that Jared went through, but just mm-hmm. uh, slightly before. And then uh, yeah. and better, slightly better. <laughs> That's what you're gonna say. I can see then, it on uh, your face. M- my wife uh, went through a similar program. Just uh, just completed that in May, and so yeah, it hits close to home. Talking leadership and church, your your church wife, leadership and all that. Your so. wife Irene is lovely. She uh, just moved here with you from the Philippines a couple of years ago. Indonesia, yeah. Indonesia, uh, it's the same thing. Two and a half years. By, by <laughs> Philippines, I mean <laughs> Indonesia. It's the, the same. The other thing. 900. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's no difference, so, right? Close uh, enough. I would say, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, showing my ignorance again. Um, anyway, so uh, boys, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I figure maybe we should kind of move on. Oh, Caleb, how are you this week? I, you've been pumping iron, I can tell. Yeah, no, I'm... Just you know me, I'm regular uh, at the box. 
I, uh, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> really if you're not. in the gym more often. I'm not in the CrossFit Jared. world. Uh, you understand, Jared. Oh. Uh, no, I, guess, I, I did yeah. go to the gym this morning, but I, um, I'm in my dirty shorts. Yeah, you know what? Post-workout, dirty shorts. We all have them, dude. Yeah. I have my pants that I wear all the time. Your dirty sure. pants. Well, no, I'm not, they're not the workout pants, though. You, you change afterwards, right? Uh, no, never. These are the ones I like change afterwards into. No, sometimes I just don't have the energy, so I just keep my I keep my workout clothes on all day. I like to come back from like a bike ride or from the gym and like change in other clothes without actually without showering. Clean. Like sometimes I'll go for a quick swim in the pool and then do it. <laughs> my wife thinks this is especially disgusting, but I I feel like it's a it's a sort of accommodation to an earlier time. I totally, I think that counts. I think just going for a swim in the pool yeah. or the lake, if you have one, you yeah, know, if you live at, Pem- if you live at Pemberley, <laughs> <laughs> if you just have to have a personal lake. Yeah. Oh, he's out at the lake at Pemberley. <laughs> hello, Elizabeth. <laughs> hello. This That's right. Yeah, that was a little Jane Austen for you. Little it's Mr. a good thing we're not doing a hygiene pie podcast. <laughs> <laughs> little Mr. Darcy. You know, the one thing that I'm always interested in hygiene mm. is brushing my teeth. That's one thing I never skip. Mm. I don't know if you guys are into that, but I do not skip brushing my teeth. I that do is, sometimes, and oh, usually man. I sit there and think, "Ah, oh, I should have brushed my teeth." Yeah, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> like it's that feeling of like, mm, "Plaque." Uh-huh. Ooh, yeah, it feels kind of grungy <laughs> on my teeth. Yeah, but I, yeah. I do occasionally neglect it. Well, I think uh, instead of just talking about this all day, let's yeah. talk about some stuff that we talked about on Sunday. Can we do that? Mm-hmm. All right. So without further ado, we have a great show for you guys, and we want to talk about it here in Canada. Okay. So a couple of Sundays ago, um, Glenn preached a sermon about faith versus works, um, and, and I, I thought it was exceptionally cool um, and, and really informative um, because the Christian life is sort of divided into these two categories. We've got the faith kind of category, which is all about our process, our spiritual life, and then we've got the works category. And, um, and we always talk about falling off either side of the log here on the Purpose Podcast. And it's very easy. Which you just did, but you know. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did. Well, I'd say, yeah, I didn't say, I'm not trying to categorize and separate them out. What I'm trying to say is that we, it's, it's a combination of two things. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, or, or it's an expression. One's an expression of the other. It's, yeah. They're kind of intricately um, But it just tied. shows how hard it is to talk about that without falling off one of the sides of the log. Exactly. So let's not fall off any sides of logs. Or let's identify. <laughs> Unless with... it's into your own personal lake at Pemberley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Darcy, what a lovely collection of statues. Uh, anyway, um, is so it a, is it an accurate likeness of his? That is, it is indeed. <laughs> That's right. It is. It is an accurate. That's not in the novel. Just for the. That was just the movie. That was only in the movie that the white alabaster statue of That's Mr. Right, Darcy, which was great. Matthew McFadden actually is. He's a, wonderful. He is good. But he was that very is good. Not in the novel. But I mean, honestly, Colin Firth better. He is better. Yeah. Okay, so, so Caleb, can you mm-hmm. explain uh, what you, how you, what the notes you took? I'd love to hear. Yeah. No. So last week or two weeks ago, rather. Oops, we're not supposed to say that on this podcast. I don't care. Oh, okay. whatever. I, I don't think we we're trying to date it like that. No, nah, um, whatever, dude. No, so um, as I was kind of kidding, but sort of serious about um, <coughs> what Glenn's major point was, is that in the history of the church, uh, oftentimes people talk as though there's like this tension between James and Paul. Um, the one, and, and the assumption is that, or the 
the tension is in that model that somehow Paul's all about faith and James is all about works and somehow those are not consistent with one another. And Glenn's, um, I think, primary goal in talking about James 2, 14 through 26 was to um, show that faith and works are not mutually exclusive. They're not two different routes to salvation, Mm -hmm. but that faith always exists with works and always leads to works. Um, and he, so he went through and talked about um, the church's value that growing people change and how um, works are works of faith are um, these three things that he talked about. He said that uh, faith that acts, a faith that's alive, um, that's connected. I guess it's more than three, actually. It isn't just intellectual and is obedient. Um, mm-hmm. So that faith is not just a state of like mental assent, but it's also a practice. It's something that we do. Um, with more than just our minds. Maybe we yeah. should read the James 2 passage. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. James 2, 14 through 26. Yeah, 26. That'd be good. Uh, and then he also talks about a number of passages from Paul, which we could also look at, but we don't have to do all of those. Okay, so let's read this. James 2, 14. We're going to get to some of the other scriptures that we talked about later with Paul and Ephesians and stuff. But uh, here's James 2, four, starting in uh, Wait, will you do it in your Darcy voice? Huh? Can you read it in your Darcy voice? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> um, what good is it? My brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without deeds is dead. That's a good passage. I like the comparison between Abraham and Rahab. And he kind of made that comparison in the sermon. But the fact we have Abraham, who's like the father of all religion, and then we've got Rahab, the prostitute, both considered considered, um, righteous because of what they they did. And it's this combination of faith and works kind of playing together. He even makes that point. He says it's it's faith and works working together. Faith and works working together. Um, if I remember right, he was kind of emphasizing that polar extreme kind of thing too. Yeah, well, Abraham not only with all the descendants coming from him being such a pillar of the the history of the Israelites. I mean, Rahab, we're talking a complete different race, you know, ethnicity, and um, you know that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not, not to mention all the the moral stuff going along with being a prostitute. That's right. It's it's polar opposites. You get a part of that same. Uh, she was literally a whore yeah. with a heart of gold. Yeah. I don't know if I should have said that. Uh, anyway. <laughs> well, no, and I mean, this is, yeah. I mean, I partly just because I was reading um, 
Erasmus and Luther last week. And Erasmus and Luther, Martin Luther, and um, I've heard his of famous bondage of the will pa- uh, section <clears throat> in um, Erasmus's response to it. So I'm thinking about that when I say what I'm saying, which is that in their debate, which is sort of like one of the seminal debates in the emergence of Protestantism. So we talk about Protestantism. We're talking the 1500s with, yep. with Martin Luther. Erasmus yep. was when? Same. Okay, yeah, 1500s. They're contemporaries. So Erasmus was like the um, rock star humanist of the period, and Luther um, was the the breakaway, you know, he was the alternative. <laughs> and Erasmus, uh, and he debate this um, topic about how much... It, it, how much our works essentially can cooperate with um, grace in order to save us. And Erasmus' position is that um, our will in concert with uh, what he calls cooperating grace leads to salvation. And Luther's response is nine. In German, Which right? is in German. No. And, <laughs> it's and not his, the number nine. He, he insists that, that we are, no, it's not the number nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, nine as in German. And he insists that it's, God's grace that by mm-hmm. faith frees us, and then in our freedom, we have the works of faith. And what mm-hmm. Glenn was talking about, and th- and it all actually really does turn on a reading of Paul for both the two of them, and also um, Luther had a hard time with James um, because he thought James, he said, was an epistle of straw. <laughs> an epistle of straw. And so well, that, and I think that tension that, is early on in the Protestant Reformation. Well, and hardcore reformers have a problem with James because it is it's. <clears throat> Almost, it almost leans on the side of works. Well, yeah, and if it's read, I mean, what Glenn's point was that you're reading it wrong. Yeah, if you when read you it read that it way. as thinking the works save you. So if he was talking to Martin Luther, he would have said, "He would have said you're reading it wrong." Yeah, he's he would have said, "It, it doesn't mean what you." He, he would agree. He Glenn yeah. would agree with Luther. He would just tell him that Luther was misreading. James and thinking that it was suge- suggesting and they would be like how dare you Glenn Gunderson <laughs> getting it wrong yeah <laughs> I am <laughs> I am Martin Luther he's, he's suddenly from Copenhagen <laughs> I wonder why you are talking to I'm me like this <laughs> suddenly I'm from Denmark <laughs> if, if we're breaking it down for people though I mean are we talking uh, Disciple Straw essentially his arguments not standing up it, no he, he thought he, yeah well I mean yes and no I mean he thought that James he read James he Luther read yeah. James as the thing Glenn said it isn't, which is that it, he, Luther, thought it was all about being saved by works. Mm. So mm-hmm. he thought that, that James is a kind of heretical book in that it focused, I mean, like in the passage we just read, that, that it suggests, it, or he, it can be read to think that we are saved by works, so that Rahab was saved by her works. Mm. And, and what Glenn was saying is that, no, saved by her faith, but her works are themselves, he didn't use this word, but but this might be a w- good way of thinking about it. Uh, there are kind of index of it. And an index is like s- when you have smoke, you know there's a fire. An, an indicator. Yeah, exactly. Like it, when you look at an index of a book, you're looking like where on what page do they talk about this? When you see smoke, you think where is the fire? So when you see the works, you think where is the faith? You know, like what 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 does, what motivates Yeah, what things? motivated that work? Yeah, yeah, and or what caused actually might be just as good the, a word for it as causal agent. Co- motivation sometimes sounds a little bit too much like psychology, but but or um, acting. Yeah, yeah, right. Because you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so um, so Luther in Glenn's reading, I think, would just have gotten the book wrong. He would have he would have been reading it as saying we're saved by uh, by the mm. smoke, and he would have said no, no, no. Rahab's smoke was a sign that she had a fire. And and it wasn't the smoke that saved her. It was the fact that she had a fire, that she had faith. That's a really she good... She believed in God. 
That's a really, that's a super good metaphor. I had a friend early on in my theological journey that was a hardcore reformer. Mm-hmm. And he convinced me to be a reformer for a few years. I was like, I'm a hardcore reformer for a few years, <laughs> maybe like three years. And uh, anyway, but he... Um, we all had that phase, Jeremy. Yeah, <laughs> we all kind of go through the reform <laughs> Was that phase. when you had the pins on your backpack and the black yeah. flag? And Yeah, I was like, I'm a reformer. <laughs> I'm a reformer, man. I, I only listen to Depeche Mode. Uh, anyway, so it was funny, though, because he, he used to say that. He used to, he used to say he thought that the book of James shouldn't be in the canon. Mm-hmm. So he was, I mean, he was a Lutheran, Calvinist, like he was of that line, and really didn't believe that even James should be in the canon. <clears throat> Just as a sidebar, Calvin did not think that. No, no. Calvin actually loved the book of James because he read it right. <laughs> yeah, Calvin read it right. Well, I think it's interesting. But that it had to do with Luther's own. I mean, I, and actually probably you brought up before, Dave, like kind of practical stuff. I mean, Luther's own theology, <clears throat> since we are talking about the church's relationship to this passage, I mean, he tried very, very diligently to make himself pure. I mean, he was a very hardcore, works-oriented Catholic. He was a monk. He became a monk because he was saved, because he thought— he basically prayed to God that if he saved him from a lightning storm, he would become a monk. And he was in law school at the time and became a monk and then strove by, like, at least his own account, as hard as humanly possible to perfect himself in this kind of cooperating grace model and and really struggled to ever feel and sense that he was, in fact— righteous before God. Um, so for him, the, the righteousness of God that's described in Paul's letters was always condemning him because he was insufficiently righteous. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he, it was out of like a very intense attempt to be holy <laughs> that he came well, to this position of thinking works were inadequate. It wasn't like he just thought like, yeah, I just want to go do whatever I want. Yeah, well, well on a sidebar, this is a common, uh, it's a common thread through throughout history with, yeah. with Christians that have... Yeah really pursued God. You see the people that really have a desire to please God always run into this wall. Yeah. So they, they always try yeah. to do it on their own efforts. And it and wasn't then... like Luther inaugurated it. I mean, the dark night of the soul in, in a lot of the narratives of saints is like a term that describes God's feeling far away from you as you become more holy. The experience of actually becoming more holy um, and and in becoming more holy, actually feeling like God is further away from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of paradox, like you would think as you become more sanctified, you'd feel God's proximity more, but actually the greater sanctification, uh-huh. the greater holiness you have, the more you feel the distance between your own holiness and its lack and God's total holiness. I read a book last, or two years ago, that described the spiritual biographies of 20 people. It's called They Found the Secret. Mm -hmm. And each of the people went through this particular process where they tried as hard as they could to be Christians, realized that they couldn't do it, and then had to rely on the grace of Christ and the sanctification of Christ, the indwelling life of the Holy Spirit, which actually made it possible for them to walk the Christian life. Mm -hmm. It's a really good book. So it's called They Found the Secret, if you guys get a chance to read it. Really, really good. Is it Raymond Edmund? Yes. Okay. That's the one. And just short biographies, short spiritual biographies of some of the people that you may know um, and may have heard of, a lot of missionaries and things like that. But really, really cool and really informative for me. Bunyan! Oswald Chambers. Love me some Bunyan. Love me some Chambers. Dwight L. Moody. Yeah. Moody, Moody. <laughs> He's my dog. <laughs> So, moral less, uh, what would you see that as kind of a, a common 
phase, if you will, then of a lot of strong Christians. Then when you're reading their biographies, is this this phase of them just having to struggle to work through that uh, acceptance, if you will, the acceptance of my works are not enough. I need to find some other method. I need to find another way to see my life, another lens to look at my life, or else I'm just going to be forever in this uh, and a stage of life where I feel this gap between me and God. Because mm-hmm. that, that's kind of the way I, I take it. Is yeah, there, there has to be a reframing of. Uh, of, of how we see our works for us to be able to uh, feel his grace, accept his grace, uh-huh. you know, kind of. Well, I, the, the, the practical application of this, which I think is great, is in the conversations that I've had with people that are constantly depressed over the fact that they sin all the time. Um, you can always point to people like Luther and you can point to these Christians in history and say, you know, you're not alone, and, and there is grace for you. There's a way out. You can actually walk in the knowledge of your forgiveness. Even, even if you are struggling with sin, you can walk in that knowledge, and the freedom that comes from that knowledge, you can walk in that freedom. So, Well, and I think, I mean, exciting. I would agree, and I, I'd even go further than that. I mean, it seems to me that one of the um, consequences of Luther's position as opposed to either a um, a kind of— one version of Wesleyanism, which is to say one version of thinking you can make yourself holy over time or that cooperating with God you can become holy over time, is that you don't just think that like, – you think everybody struggles with sin. Luther's view of grace is really large in response to his sense of sin being really large. And at least my upbringing in the, in the kind of pietist – You're talking about tra- Wesleyan, sort of a Wesleyan yeah, like holiness. A view, yeah, a holiness tradition that says – and a lot of evangelicals um, – I mean, I teach at APU. This is definitely the model there – have this view that makes sin small, right? Like, And it has to be small because it's only if it's small that you can of overcome course. it. Like, you redefine it. Yeah, if you don't read Matthew 5 through 7 a certain way, the Sermon yeah. on the Mount, then you can accomplish the righteousness that – you know, if it just means – but if instead, like you actually think that you kill your neighbor when you have bad thoughts, or that you, yep. you know, lust is the same as transgression, and, and if you actually believe that, then sin becomes large enough that it's not manageable by you. Absolutely. And and so it's not just that it's like it's that the person who doesn't think they struggle with sin is just mistaken. <laughs> like that's like, <laughs> like you know. That, well, honestly, no, there are Luther's people. Role. I'm not are, saying that's true. No, but, but there's people who and, and people that I've read that I like who actually think that holiness is something that happens here. That you know, absolute sanctification, total sanctification, total sanctification happens. We grew up in the Nazarene Church, where that was part of the doctrine. Yeah, and it's very interesting because the people that think that they always thought that they they had reached it, and if you were to ask their wives, you know, like their wives (laughs) would be like, no, (laughs) you know. And also, the the other thing is, what they had to do is they had to redefine sin so that sin became. You know, oh, that wasn't a sin. That was a mistake. I yeah, mean. exactly. You know, no. That wasn't a no, sin. No, exactly. In the was... Catholic Church, I yeah. mean, you get the venial, you get two two distinct kinds of sin that, you know, one leads to condemnation and the other doesn't. I mean, there's all these moves that right. you have to make because otherwise, yeah, it's, it doesn't quite work. And mm-hmm. and I'm not faulting those traditions. I, I kind of get what they do and I, and I mm-hmm. appreciate them. But on the other hand, they, at the same time, they have to, you have to make God's holiness less or our sin less in, in order for us to actually be able to get to that point. Yeah. Because otherwise, if you, I mean, and it, it can go the other way as well. You can also become obsessed with like the sort of small component in sin and everything you do, like start thinking like, what was that motivated by pride? I mean, there, yeah. there can be a kind of punctiliousness or whatever well, you want to call think, about it. I think like we always bring up Niebuhr, but I think if we really understand it, every almost every motivation that we have is sinful. Yeah. 
It's and rooted so in a, in a design. It's rooted in sin. Yeah, I mean, I, so we it, might as well just get over it. Well, and I mean, pride, <laughs> I mean, Niebuhr, you mentioned <laughs> Reinhold Niebuhr, and Niebuhr's Nature and Destiny of Man. Like what, for me, it's this two-volume book that's um, his 1938 and 39 um, Gifford Lectures. Oh, no, 42 and 43 Gifford Lectures. And and one volume was the first, and the next year was the second. And they're both about basically how all individual and collective human expression is an expression of pride. And, and when we think it's something else, we are just usually wrong. Like we are driven by a desire to make ourselves more um, mm. and make others less and make God less as a result. And right. again, I mean, that can, it doesn't mean that we're totally depraved and that everything we do is simply pride. It just means that part of what motivates us every time is it's pride. Is pride. Like, well, how will this make me look? <clears throat> well, how is this say, podcast making me sound? How is this? Do I sound good? How do I look to you guys when I sound yeah. this way? You know, like, well, that's why we always talk about how awesome you look. <laughs> Because we know that's your motive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're very aware that uh, you have you have that issue. At the root, yeah. of, at the root of that, it sounds like it's more or less uh, saying you know uh, human nature is not going to be completely divorced of any like decision that we make, and and that's fine. I mean, I, I get that. I mean, we're never going to be one hundred percent doing something that's altruistic, something that's God you know seeking, God serving. That that's not at least some piece of us is still not going to be a part of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, at least not this side of heaven. Yeah. It, but, but, but it, to me, I guess my question would be, it, it, does that really matter? I mean, does it really matter? Well, it looks it, discouraging it, on the one hand, right? You're it, like, it, oh, absolutely. crap, I can't be perfect. Uh, but absolutely. on the other hand, the flip yeah. side of it, the practical flip side is like an appropriate goal. <laughs> you know, like, because yeah. I, yeah. I mean, at least for me, I was extremely discouraged a la Martin Luther as a young man because I didn't seem to be able. And I think this is every young man's burden. Yeah. <laughs> but like as it relates to, to sexuality and lust being sufficiently pure was a real challenge. And so if, if the standard was purity, I was falling short of that, especially as you start talking about mental purity and other things. And so for me, that was very discouraging. Mm -hmm. But within this model, it's not surprising, right? Like, it's like, well, of course you're not perfect yet. Like, that's the purpose of sanctification. You are freed by grace through faith, and then the rest of your existence is the part in which you become perfected. And so you don't have to pretend that you're like, perfect which is like what a lot of christians are really good at yeah or redescribe things that are sin as something else because now i'm a christian i'm supposed to be perfect so it doesn't always lead to you know into kind of insincerity sometimes it just leads to complicated philosophical definition of like well that's not real your will wasn't really involved in that so it's not really sin and right in, in the in the lutheran tradition you can just say it's yeah a, I, it is sin, sin. it's it's i sinned and god Forgives, forgives me. me and and I'm justified by grace like Rahab and like Abraham mm. and I have these works and I have still this sin and it's it's not like a, there's not a balance sheet in heaven where I'm going to get there someday and they're going to measure it out and figure yeah. out whether or not I get to stay there although I do think so I I do think the sanctification process works in a way where God does move us from glory to glory where we move forward I, it's happened in my life yeah, no, I, I don't mean of, to suggest there's no progression. Yeah, there is progression, yeah, no, and like right. those sins do have a tendency to kind of, kind of like decrease, and your motives that are altruistic and Holy Spirit driven tend to increase, and you know, so there is this kind of, there's this, but it's a slow process, and I think people get really impatient with the process. Yeah, um, God causes the. Well, growth. like so many things, yeah. it often happens sort of off stage. Like one day you realize, like, oh, I don't struggle with X anymore, oh, and right. it's not because you're like you know, chipping away at it, like working on it. It's yeah. actually because, I mean, so often, I mean, if you think about something like addiction, for example, mm -hmm. oftentimes addictions are dealt with not by dealing with the addiction, but either by dealing with circumstances mm -hmm. that relate to the addiction or by having a better addiction. As odd as that yeah. sounds, like, I mean, most people in addiction work these days, 
think that you know you're not going to overcome your addiction to alcohol. You're going to become addicted to something better. It'll replace it. Yeah, with it'll something. be and, and not in a not in an unhealthy way, but you might like take Re- up exercise and redirect when, it. Redirect, yeah, exactly. Redirect, redirect that, that kind of like yeah. unsatisfied energy into something else. So, so David, I want to know what is your darkest sin that you struggle with? I mean, Caleb. No, no, David Caleb is actually his. totally sanctified. Yeah, that's why he's here. Now, that's why Ra- we had him on today. We just didn't tell him. <laughs> if Randy Gardner were on here, we would say that's absolutely. We all we all think Randy's actually sanctified. I'm not sure <laughs> in the church. Say. That's the rumor that goes around the church. Um, yeah, so I don't really know. If you guys know Randy. Saved by grace, and then there's Randy. <laughs> and, and we just admire no him. No grace required. <laughs> so we just admire him. Yeah, we just sit there and admire him. Actually, I have an office by him now, so I'm, I'm hoping that it rubs off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But um, but it's it hasn't yet, so <laughs> that works. I'm just going to watch how he interacts with people and be like, I want to be like that. Um, yeah, you so a song about wanting to be like Randy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I want to be like you. Hoo, hoo. I want to walk like you, talk like talk you. Like we listen to that. Now I'm the king of swingers, the jungle VIP. <laughs> anyway, so uh, David, I did want to ask you this. Um, James, um, we read earlier, uh, 2, 14 through 26. And then Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 about works as well. Can you read, can you read that yeah. for me? Yeah, That'd be cool. It is. uh, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. An interesting passage because it combines both of the things that we're talking about. Again, he kind of says he emphasizes grace, but then he emphasizes works in the same context. And so as a Christian, you know, your works, I think the point that Glenn was trying to make too, was that your works are an expression of the, smoke. the it's the smoke that's, that's the evidence of the fire. Mm-hmm. Again, I mean, I think we just stopped the podcast right now because that's exactly Because the where there's smoke, there's fire. <laughs> Is this fire no, or I smoke? Mean, I mean, not to like complicate things, but actually I like doing that. Um, but I do think, I mean, part of the question that, that Christians have is that, you know, this, and especially in contemporary life is about performativity or like hypocrisy, which is usually we think of that as, um, you know, like, oh, these people claim to have faith. They claim to be Christians, but their actions don't line up with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and it seems like that answer is pretty easy. You're like, well, yeah, yeah, welcome to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's a, another version of that, which is, you know, so that one is like, why do people act the way they claim to? Why are Christians sometimes mean? And, you know, that's definitely, I mean, I've experienced a lot of injury from Christians in my own life. And so I, I'm not trying to diminish that. But on the other hand, the other piece of it is also complicated, which is like, what do you do with people who have smoke, which is to say they're doing good works, but they yeah. don't have fire, which is to say they don't have faith. Like they don't seem to be people who are, you know, part of the family of God. Uh, and I, 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 I think that's actually an interesting question. I mean, Paul in, in Romans 1 talks about that as mm-hmm. um, one way of thinking about it is him talking about the evidence in common grace or in, in creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and, and so I do think that that's maybe a, a bit of a problem in all this is that uh-huh. there does seem to be some element within built into creation that makes people able to do some of the things that we would think of as works of faith. Um, you know, and we can all think of examples of that. And yet these are not people who claim to follow Jesus. Claim and, to follow. and even more than that, like some of those people, like some pagans are more virtuous than Christians are. And, and so what do you do with that? that I think that goes without saying, I would say a lot of pagans are more virtuous than Christians are. Yeah. And so, and, and I, mean, I think that's hard for some Christians 
to figure out what to do with that. I, I personally don't think that's a problem because mm. I think grace is relative. Just <laughs> right. to say it, it works on you where you are. Well, I like what C.S. Lewis said about the old lady in the church. You know, the, the old lady in the church. Tell that's, us what it's that's Lewis mean to you. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, so the old lady that's mean to you in church, yeah. um, you don't know how where she came from. You actually don't know how far she's come yeah. in her grace walk. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, you don't judge her based on that. <laughs> right. Well, and that's right. We you don't, know. we don't see, I mean, maybe when we have relationships with somebody over time, we mm-hmm. do. Yeah, no, I think we can definitely see the smoke more. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, than the, than the fire we get, that's evidence of the fire. We kind of see little bits and wisps of smoke for some people yeah. that have a fire. And then we have a lot yeah. of smoke where there doesn't seem to be fire. I, I think that that's a really good question. And it begs the question that I think that our culture is asking, which is, do people that have never heard of Christ, that are living virtuous lives, do they come, do they, are they saved? Like, do they go to heaven? Does everybody go to hell? Because whatever. And um, those are great questions to be asking. I don't, I mean, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I've got a kind of oversimplified answer, but I would say that if God created us in his image, all of mankind, right, Christian or not, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone created in his image then it would stand to reason that there is not only some common ground of like moral right and wrong yeah. that, that might be intrinsic for all mankind, you know, but, but also there might be some, um, you know, uh, motivations, you know, that are altruistic and people are really trying to serve other people, help other people that, that might just be an inherent with being man. You, you know what I mean? Mankind. Yeah. Just like uh, leftovers. And, and so, and some of those things to me, it's more indicative of a common creator more than it is, are they Christian or not? Or, or do they have a similar faith or not? But um, yeah, I, I would argue that sometimes it's, um, they have a different fire, different motivation. But but I, I would say there is that common thread of they got the same creator. Well, I always think it's it's funny when Jesus says things like, that's a great point. I, it's a great point because I think it's interesting that Jesus always says things like, you know, you're not far from the kingdom. Like yeah, to people exactly. that aren't in. No, and I think that's a, uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. Not Not exactly like, like that people are, one way of looking at it is like, oh, these people are damned and they just have like a sort of mock, insincere form of faith. And and I've heard that growing up, like, you mm-hmm. know, these, th- without grace, you're condemned. But I think what you're getting at is they do have grace. They have common grace. And that means they're really close to the kingdom. And And instead of going after those people and being like, you're going to hell, we should be like, you are like on the right trail. Well, right. Also, <laughs> Let me tell you about this man, Jesus. Like, right. look at how your life is. I mean, I was brought back from atheism myself because I realized I was a bad atheist, which is to say, mm. I realized my life matched Christian ethics, not mm. atheist ethics. And I realized the implication of what atheist ethics would be. And I definitely did not believe that. So right. I, yeah. part of the reason I came back to the faith was realizing I actually hadn't left it because of all the ways that I was still trying to practice like a Christian, which I tried to not think of as being Christians, but it didn't make any sense didn't without any the, sense. the idea of God that I had gotten from Christianity, thought I had left behind, but actually I was continuing to practice, even right, though exactly. I didn't think I was. Like well, I was still virtue. trying to be virtuous and loving, and right. I was still practicing agape, and I was still trying to live intentionally to serve others, and, and maybe even more than I had been before, mm-hmm. because I didn't feel like I could be personally virtuous, at least I could like love others well. And yeah. I, I mean, so I think the same thing could be said to the virtuous pagan you're describing, which That's is that, very interesting. man, you're really close to the kingdom. Like, do you realize how much this is like what Jesus is? I mean, and I would assume mm. that those people are. I mean, God is working out their salvation. Yeah, I would agree with you. It, I think an honest atheist will be able to 
identify the fact that there is this disparity and if you it, between virtue and atheism like mm -hmm. there is no reason to be virtuous and so if they're honest about it they're going to realize and, and and that's the i think one of the arguments against atheism is that nobody lives that lifestyle <laughs> consistently right. if they if they were to carry why it do you out keep to acting its, like there's meaning in the world right why do you think there's <laughs> acting like why aren't you just doing whatever you want whatever your your latest impulse is why are you even intellectually engaged there's no reason to be yeah and so which but i mean at the same time i think you don't have to make the argument and this is i think dave's point is you don't have to make the argument that atheists can't live virtuously they totally can it's just that they the can't the they are they're not being atheists it's just their philosophy <laughs> and their, yeah. their they're just living in contradiction to what they say they believe exactly which is like great like we shouldn't be like faulting from that we no, should be no. like thrilled that when somebody mm -hmm. says like and this is a big part of the new atheist debate oh you know like an atheist can live completely virtuous life just like in Christian. And I would say you're entirely right. It's just like, why would you? And yeah. when you are, in what sense are you an atheist? When you practice like other yeah. people matter and that you should serve them and love them, why would you do that? Like that right. doesn't make sense in the world frame that you have. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I like how you always steer away from the worldview <laughs> word. Weltenschwang. I like Weltenschwang. <laughs> so uh, anyway. Um, it's just been used. I, I like it. Well, I think I think that's a great point. I I agree. I, what do you think about that, David? I mean, I think you you were we were talking about the difference between atheism and virtue. Yeah, uh, there's. I think there's a lot of people out there where the hope. I think it's hard for them to uh, identify or define because they don't have that um, Christian upbringing. They haven't uh, adopted, mm -hmm. you know, Christian uh, values per se. But 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 they're atheist and they want to be a good person. They, they, they want to have that um, that meaning that comes into their lives maybe by investing in other people yeah. or investing in causes outside of themselves. I, I see a lot of it. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think too, yeah, kind of to Caleb's point, it's like we can, you know, I, I think we can identify with them and we can come alongside people who are in that, that situation and say, you know, I, I appreciate what you're doing. I like what you're doing do you realize how many similarities we have? Mm -hmm. Well, you would say, and you, you point know? out, you would say, I would yeah. point out the fact that you are not far from the kingdom. What you're doing and what I believe really coincide. What you're doing, what you believe don't really match up. I think, know? I mean, and that's where it's really practical. I mean, yeah. the practical part is that you don't need to, I mean, it's only if you think that virtue is virtue or goodness is goodness on the basis of intent or on the basis of motive like that you can and, and that, that is a big problem for a lot of Christians because a lot of Christians think that what we do is only good to the extent that we sort of mean it to be good. I don't actually think that's a biblical picture of what goodness is. I think the biblical picture of goodness is that we are freed to do goodness by grace. And and that means that that's it's right. always on the basis of somebody else's intent, not ours. Right. And so that means that somebody who's doing good with no intent to do good is still doing good. They don't mean to be doing Christian virtue. It's just written in nature, like you were saying, what goodness is. And so we don't need to like convert them so that their acts can be good. Now their acts aren't salvific. They don't bring them into God's family. Only right. grace does that. Mm -hmm. But their acts are a sign that grace is happening in them. Mm -hmm. That's like the difference that, that some sort of fire is being kindled, mm -hmm. whether it's like fully <laughs> ablaze like that's, but if we just run up to them and go, Hey, you know, your actions are always only your motive and you should like become a Christian so that your actions can be good. You know, because right now these are just straw in front of God and you're going to hell. Well, yeah. isn't that the point, too, that our actions as Christians aren't always good? Yeah. And so for us to even have that model, which is the model we grew up with in youth group, I think. Mm -hmm. And we probably grew up in, in the last hundred years here in 
with the holiness movement and things like that. Our as Christians, our actions should be 100% good all the time. I I still think Well, they now, should be. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I still think we should be doing good works, but I do all, and and working, which is exactly what we're saying. But I I think it has to always always be motivated by grace and and realize and kind of I love Christians cuz you can kind of not take yourself that seriously because you kind of have to say, well, my motives are all over the place, you know, like at least I'm honest about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sometimes good, I'm sometimes bad. I like I like how Christianity is is unique in that way where we don't have to take ourselves that seriously. We can laugh at ourselves, we can, you know, make fun of what we do and it's okay. Other religions I don't think do that as as well. Yeah, I was listening to Alistair Begg yesterday. Yeah. Because my um, stereo died. Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg was on there. I like that guy. he was telling everybody about how to find Jesus. He's absolutely (laughs) great. I I don't listen to the radio ever. But my (laughs) stereo died. Uh Or my uh, CD player. Like, the the changer wouldn't work. And so, it just... I was, like, trying to find stations. And I heard this Scottish voice. I'm like, this must be Alistair Begg. And it was, of course. And he... I, I wish I could remember the sermon in case anyone wanted to look it up. But he was, I mean, there was a standard kind of thing he was doing. He was just using it as an illustration. But he was talking about different religions, and, and he was talking about Christianity as distinctives from, from Judaism and Islam and um, Hinduism. And the specific thing he was talking about is just what you said, which is um, some version of, unlike other religions, we don't have to do a kind of analysis of ourselves to figure out if we have enough righteousness to merit God's favor. The answer is no. <laughs> we do not have enough, <laughs> but he, meaning Christ, does. And like the point is, it doesn't mean that we stop trying to be like Christ. We mm-hmm. do, and we work alongside God, yeah. alongside the work of the Spirit, to become more Christ-like. But we are not meriting our salvation. No. We're not like building a case before the Lord. We're not, whatever, I mean, what yeah. other, we're not like, there's no sort of Thing we're trying to match up to in order to earn his favor, and that was I like the way Tim Keller put it. Yeah, Keller too. Uh, I, I heard a sermon. <laughs> we're not reformed at this church. <laughs> you know, I think just we, I am. No, I think the American Baptists don't they come? They are. They are. Yeah, they're reformed. So Sola, I know he always points at his tattoo when he's trying to remind us how cool he is and how reformed he is. <laughs> how reformed I am. You're so reformed. Look at your tattoo. Uh, anyway, um, what was I saying? Tim Keller had a sermon about this very thing and he basically stated this and i kept rewinding this piece because it was really really encouraging because <laughs> it's tim killer it's like bleep i'm gonna rewind this bleep it was like 30 seconds i kept listening to but he basically said as christians we strive with all of our might to fulfill the law to do the law yeah but when we don't achieve the law which is often <laughs> we have an advocate that argues on our behalf and 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 clears us from any guilt. So when we come, when we actually do fall, we have Christ that says, no, you know, I took that punishment on myself. They stand righteous because of what I did. Mm -hmm. So we can actually walk in this freedom, knowing even when we sin, even in the second second after you sin, you can walk in that freedom knowing that Christ has given you forgiveness. I, I asked my grandfather this one time, he was an evangelist and a preacher, Ben LeMaster, he used to have a radio show in Fresno, <laughs> and um, really, really cool guy. He was a Nazarene, and, and, but he got it in a really cool way. We were having a conversation outside of TCBY Yogurt in Colorado, and in his car, and listening to Louis L'Amour, and I turned it off, and I said, hey, you know, I was like, how quickly should I, should I feel forgiven for the sins that I commit? And he's like, immediately, immediately. He's like, you can walk in freedom. He's like, you don't have to worry about, 
He's like, ask for forgiveness right away and walk in that forgiveness and recognize that the cross of Christ covers your sin. He's like, it's past, present, and future sin. Not just the, you don't have to feel guilty or do penance um, because you've sinned. You don't have to put yourself through the ringer because Christ already put himself through the ringer so that you don't have to. And I think as you start understanding who Christ is, um, walking in the law becomes becomes like more of a pleasure you start wanting to do it like john talks about he's like he's like you want to be obedient you know instead and it becomes this thing where that's a good point about freedom too though yeah like freedom is not i mean sometimes we think of freedom as like when paul talks about freedom as like well you can kind of one version of this i guess in a concrete historical example around calvin's time so in the 1570s there was a group of people who lived in a town called navarre which was like a french um principality kind of i mean modern day france it was a, a town there and they called themselves the spiritual libertines and they took paul's um rhetorical question about you know should we sin the more so that grace may abound they took the answer as like yes like <laughs> we should sin as much as possible let's do it so that we can get as much grace as possible because grace is, is merited out or meted out uh, because you've sinned and and it you know i mean calvin's response to that was like no he writes this track called Against the Spiritual Libertines, which is that, you know, Paul's point was not to say send more. His point was to say that we are freed from our guilt at the, you know, at the cross always already. So that it doesn't yeah. mean like sin a lot more. It means that, like, as you're saying, there's not like a burden. It do, you don't like do penance by being guilty. You don't, there's not like a, a mechanism by which you are freed other than that you're freed by his work. And so it's instantaneous because it's an always already. You're always freed by it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think that's something that has very practical consequences for us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, e- even uh, secondarily, I mean, it, the, the primary thing, right, is salvation. And that's, that's everything. I mean, that's, that's the gift that's most critical. But secondarily, to be having that, that sense of, like, grace is in my life. I have this freedom now where I can... I can focus on the things that God wants me to do, or I can be um, at peace with myself. I can be happy with myself, and I don't have to be struggling day to day with these things over and over again, and are my works going to be sufficient? Mm-hmm. That's a huge gift. That I think that's that freedom of, of thinking, you know, that, yeah. that ability to have a clear mind. It's huge. Yeah, yeah not, not to be clouded by that guilt that constantly clouds, especially early, early in your Christian life. Well, and the thing is, like, it's funny to say this, but... But one way of putting that would be saying when I mean, I think that there's a type of Christian spirituality that seems to see virtue in sort of being down on yourself, like mm-hmm. a sign of spiritual growth and is a certain kind of it's actually a form of pride, which is really weird. Thinking that your sin is really bad and like I'm oh, I'm so I'm heavy. With, it's a it's an odd form of pride, but yeah. and it's one I'm very prone to. So that's why I have given it quite a bit of thought. But it, it's this idea that somehow like my sin is so great. Yeah. Others have sinned, but I have, I have sinned. really sinned. Yeah, and then, like somehow, <laughs> like you know, S. these other lowly sinners. I mean, it sounds really odd, but I, I mean, there is a sense <laughs> in which that's actually one part of our culture. It's, I mean, it's part of the sort of victim culture. It's also part of the, uh-huh. um, I mean, various parts of our world uh-huh. that want to sort of put yourself at the bottom is actually a way of putting yourself at the top, like that. And yeah. and, and I think in Christianity, there's a, a strain of Christianity or a strain of Christian spirituality that sees it that way. But it's odd to think that the, the sign of a kind of robust or the smoke of a robust faith is a kind of freedom from self-loathing that like God is not angry at you. I mean, not to quote, <laughs> not to quote certain figures who have 
maybe left the church, Rob Bell. Um, but Rob <laughs> Bell's, like, his tour about love winning and his tour, I mean, he, he gets it really wrong at certain points. But the gods aren't angry. He is right about that. Like, they, yeah. will, God is angry, and the wrath of him is poured out on Christ, and that's it. Like, there's not, like, a secondary, hmm. you're not, like, paying more for it. There's not, like, right. a, you know, there's no... You don't I'll need to do my, more. I'll give you these two pennies. Yeah. So I mean, toward, towards my billion dollar debt. Let's yeah. believe that yeah. Jesus was enough. Yeah. Exactly. Right. No, that's the pride of it. The pride of it is thinking that you're going to sort of add to Jesus' work. You know, like. Gosh, this is a really good conversation. I feel like we could talk about this forever because it's primary to the Christian life. It's it's primary to the practical living of the Christian life. I feel like. But we all and we all get it wrong so much. We like, all get I mean, it wrong every day. Like, I, I'm not talking out of freedom from this. Like how much? Yeah. For the time, do you like get up and yeah. you're like uh. Man, I'm the worst. Or yeah. you, it, 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 you grow older, you're saying you get better. But one of the things I've struggled with as I'm getting older is feeling guilty that I don't feel guilty. Like I, yeah, I'm right. Like, Man, I don't really worry about my sin like I used to. Yeah, it's kind of a. I double must be getting real like lax in a, my yeah. spirituality. It's a double blind. Like I feel yeah. pretty comfortable <laughs> in God's grace these days. I think He kind of likes me. I'm too comfortable. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's and like, that can be true. I mean, it's like it's quiet. It's too quiet. Yeah, yeah, definitely like. You know, there's, yeah, I always kind of, whenever I'm feeling fairly confident in, in the grace of God, knowing that, you know, all these things that I kind of get, I definitely have that sense. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, I'm like, when am I going to feel guilty right. again? Because it's around the corner. I know it's going to come. Well, and that, and that version yeah. of, um, it's almost a karma logic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think some of us practice Christianity as though we're Hindus. Like, I totally. better do good so that God can bless me. I just did sin. Uh-oh. Like you said, when's the shoe gonna drop? When, when right. when's the anti blessing coming? Anti blessing. When is he gonna pull the rug out from under me? Because you know he's right. gonna teach me his lesson. And sure, he'll call it discipline, but it'll feel like judgment to me. I mean, I don't exactly. think that's the right picture. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And you know, this is a great conversation to have. I think we we could continue doing it. We need to probably wrap it up at this point. But I am walking away from this podcast feeling really encouraged, actually. Um, I feel like there's a lightness of spirit that we can walk with as Christians that maybe we don't experience all the time. And this, I'm, I'm hoping that people walk away from this feeling that same lightness, knowing that they can walk through their lives with the forgiveness of Christ, with the blood of Christ covering all their sins, past, present, and future, and their works that God created you. Like, that's just smoke from a fire. So, like, you know, those are the things that I remember from today. Um, if we were going to kind of uh, review what we talked about today, what would you guys say? I, I would want to encourage people. I think it's not really answering your question very well, but, but I would want to encourage people to uh, keep stoking that fire, though, you know, yeah. to, to be doing those day-to-day sort of things that we hear far, probably far too much in the church, but keep praying, keep reading your Bible, you yeah. know, stay in that daily devotional time where you can um, try and feel that there is a real relationship there, feel God's presence as much as possible, uh, just to keep us grounded in knowing what he has done for us as well as, hopefully keeping up that motivation to continue to do those works out of respect for him, out of love for him, you know, in mm-hmm. response to that grace. Yeah, the law is no longer a burden. You know, it's a pleasure like John talks about in First John. It's no longer a burden anymore. Anyway, uh, Caleb, what would you have to say? Final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's something similar to Dave's. I, I think I like uh, Tim Keller in another point, and I think he's stealing this from um, Jack Miller, I think, and and Keller says, and I may be getting this kind of wrong, um, he says that we should live like our salvation is on us and believe like it's on Christ. 
Mm-hmm. And and I think that's maybe kind of hi- hyperbole and overstatement. Sure. Um, but I think that's kind of what Dave's getting at. Like, I don't think what we're saying here is that you should sort of give up on works because actually what works are or or because, you know, like, oh, my motive's wrong. I'm trying to save myself. I think what you realize through works, and this is what Luther showed, is actually your need for grace. But then you also realize through works that grace is working in you. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's, I mean, one of the paradoxes is that works can condemn you but they can also sustain you and and show you and that's why in the history of the church people started using the phrase um works of faith versus works of righteousness or works of faith versus works of the law and again those complicated terms it can mean different things but the point being like in the one you actually are finding reminder of god's work in your life that he Mm -hmm. is not done with you and he's working in you Um, and you see signs of it you You see see smoke you see more smoke smoke gets darker it's signs of life (laughs) yeah so, uh, so my final thought, I guess, would be the works that we perform to are, as you grow in maturity, they're, uh, they're the works of Christ in you, yeah. working his life in, in, in and through you, like the acts of the apostles. is actually the acts of Christ through the apostles. Um, that's what we are. Um, we are vessels for his spirit to do the work that he wants to do. Um, and it takes, the, it takes the burden of... Um, I think we always kind of talk about um, having a, a performance. It takes the burden of performance and review off of us when we do these works, because if it is the work of Christ and we're being obedient to what he's doing, then he's got to take on the, the burden of responsibility. And so then then the stress goes away there, too. So we, we have a stress-free life in our sin life. We have a stress-free life in our work life, although we're doing striving to not sin and we're striving to do the works that he he's given us to do so let's let's live a life that lacks that striving i think that would be really cool Hmm. awesome guys well hey one last thing uh just a couple of announcements june 25th the we're gonna have a worship night over in the b building uh for the young adults which is a wide range of people (laughs) which is about 18 to about 40 or something so uh, so we're gonna um have a worship night over there hopefully you guys can come over and connect um, if you're not part of a small group, please get involved with a small group. We want you guys to um, have good, deep, intimate relationships that you can do Christian Christianity with um, and try to be obedient to Christ with, and they can encourage you and sharpen you. Um, so there are opportunities to do that. Um, anyway, without further ado, we had a great leadership meeting for the young adults um, last Friday night at my house, and so I'm very excited to see where we go. Um, God's doing awesome stuff. And uh, so for my co-host, Caleb Spencer, and our producer, David Brandon, we'd like to thank you for tuning in. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you at some point. And we will see you next time on The Purpose Podcast. (laughs) 